this is the last week in our series, this series called Hurt that we've been navigating through. If you like following along in your Bible, uh, you can turn to Genesis chapter 37. That's where we're going to be. And uh, we're going to be looking at a story of one of the more famous individuals in the Bible. This, this series has all been, been all about, um, as we go through life, uh, because we live in a sinful world, because we are sinful people, we, um, we get hurt. And so uh, at times, we can't do this all the time, but at times, it's a good thing, as one of my professors said uh, back in the day, to lift up the hood of our lives and kind of look inside a little bit and, and do a little diagnostic on how we're doing. Um, usually we don't take the time to do that all the time. We've got to kind of plow through life, but this is one of those series. It can bring up some stuff. It can uh, cause you to feel a little ouchy or feel a little twinge here and there, and I would encourage you that's probably a good sign that there is something there that you should look into and, uh, and maybe uh, explore a little more. And that's why we have Celebrate Recovery starting and not to just overdo it, but to encourage you. That's one of those places where um, it's really designed to look a little deeper and to go through a process to deal with some of these hurts. But hurts, uh, what they can do in us is if we're not careful, we can take on a mentality that will stop us from growing. It'll stop us from moving through life in a healthy way. And so our tagline here for hurt is escaping a victim mentality. And uh, as Pastor Tony Evans has said so eloquently that we are all victims. We will be victims. You can be a victim, but you can't take on a victim mentality. That's the piece that we just can't accept. And so we've got to work through some of these things so that we can stay healthy, continue to move forward, and not get held back. And so today we want to look at hurts that come from broken dreams. And so we've been navigating through some different topics uh, where hurts can happen. And, you know, dreams are an interesting thing. Dreaming about the future, dreaming about life, having dreams for where we hope to go is something very common. I think all human beings do it at some level uh, to dream about the future. And we have this picture. uh, A lot of times when we're younger, we maybe do a little bit more of it. But we think about the future and we have a positive view of something that might happen to us, some status in life we could achieve, something that we hope will happen. And those things... Things, those dreams do provide hope for us and help us uh, to push forward in life. And it's important that we, uh, we have the right view of dreams because things can and do happen uh, to where we think that dream will never happen. Uh, that has been, uh, that, that something has happened that killed that and it'll never come back. I'll never see that uh, come to reality. And so um, today we're looking at the story of a famous dreamer, probably the most famous uh, in all the world, and his name's Joseph. And you probably have heard his story a little bit. Joseph comes in the line of uh, the people of God, the nation of Israel. Uh, see, as, as you'll probably recall, Abraham uh, was the individual that God spoke to, he called out and he said, hey, Abraham, I want you to follow me. Uh, I'm going to make you into, uh, I'm going to do some things in your life, right? And God made a covenant with Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. And it involved three things that God promised to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a, a, a region of the earth that'll belong to you and it'll belong to your people. And then I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to give you offspring, descendants are going to come from you as many as the stars in the sky and and as many as the sand on the seashore. It's going to be millions and millions and millions of people that will come from you, Abraham. And lastly, he said, I'm going to bless the world through you. 
So the Abrahamic covenant was land, seed, and blessing. Those are the three things that God promised to Abraham. And so Abraham said, okay, God, he believed God, as you'll recall. He stepped out of faith to follow God. And when he was about 90 and he still didn't have any children, <laughs> he was like, God, what's going on here? And God said, listen, I'm going to keep my promise. You'll remember he, he kind of uh, took, a, took a side route, tried to take a shortcut with Hagar and with Ishmael, but Ishmael was not the son of promise. And so God said, I'm going to fulfill and complete my promise. I'm going to make it happen. And so Sarah, his wife, when she was beyond the years of childbearing, uh, she got pregnant and had a son. His name was Isaac. And so Abraham had one son, and this was the son of promise. And Isaac, you'll recall, um, uh, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Esau was not a child of promise. He wasn't in the line of, the, the, of what God was doing, creating this nation and, and fulfilling his promises, right, that he'd made to Abraham. And so, but Jacob was. And Jacob became that child. And Jacob um, had, uh, uh, he had more sons. He actually had 12 in all. And Joseph, who's our uh, character of our story today, he was the 11th son. He had 10 older brothers. And he came along uh, to, uh, Joseph came along to Jacob when Jacob was older, in his older age. And so he loved Joseph. And, and uh, these 12 sons of Jacob became, each one of them became the leader of a tribe. And they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And from them came all the descendants uh, of the nation. And we're looking at today, Joseph, who was the, the way through which God got the nation of Israel to Egypt. And he provided for them. It was in Egypt that they flourished and multiplied. And by some accounts, as they left Egypt, though they spent some time in slavery, right? It wasn't all great, but they did flourish and God prospered them and he built them into a nation. And as they left Egypt, probably over a million people as they moved back into the land of Canaan. And so incredible things happened. And Joseph is key to the story. And Joseph was a dreamer. God gave him dreams. You know, uh, as we have dreams in life, and all of us do at some point, sometimes, as I said, we, we, things happen and occur to us and occur in our lives that make us think those dreams might be broken. Whether it's dreams of a family or of marriage, things happen in life and we think that's never going to happen. That couldn't happen, God. Um, that dream is gone. Maybe the dream of a career a career path, something that we want to do and we walk down the line towards it and we get to a point and we can't make the next step and we think, boy, that dream is dead. It's over. Sometimes it's a dream of starting a business. I know so many people that, man, I, I just want to go into business for myself and do that thing and yet for many that dream seems elusive. It's like it's never going to happen. Maybe the, just the dreams of a future, of greatness, of success. Whatever it might be, dreams are important to us. And in America, the land that we live in, a country that's unique on the face of the earth, it really is a place where dreams can come true, where people work to see their dreams happen. People come from all over the world uh, to this country uh, so that they can chase or pursue a dream. Because in most of the countries in the world, that's just not possible. I used to say... Um, Make your dreams God's dreams, and they'll always come true. Um, I think maybe I was just trying to play with language a little bit to try to get God to make the dreams I wanted come true. I don't know. But, um, but where do, question I got for you this morning is, where do your dreams come from? Where do they come from? What's the source of them? Um, it's important to dream. We need to have hope in the future. 
And we dream oftentimes about things we hope would happen, things we like to see accomplished in our life. And I want to encourage you today, kind of the, one of the premises of this message, is that you would take a break from that, take a shift from that of just dreaming of your future, the things you hope would happen. And for a moment, would you consider seeking what God's dreams would be for your life? I really believe that for each one of his children, you know, Jesus is the creator. He originated life, right? And so he, uh, from him has come all of the peoples of the earth, every person that's ever existed or ever will. A creation of God. And I believe that because of that, he knows each one of us intimately. The Bible tells us that. He knows the day, uh, he knew when we would come uh, be born on this earth. He knows the day that we'll pass from this life. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows everything about us. And I believe that God has a dream for each one of his creation. He has things that he hopes they will accomplish, that he believes in them for, that he created us to do. And part of the job we have is to discover what those dreams are. If you would seek what God's dreams for your life are, if you would be brave enough to consider that and to begin to ask God to reveal that to you, the next step is equally important once you understand or once you get an idea of what God's dreams for you might be. It's absolutely essential that you would embrace the dreams that God gives you. Joseph, as we've said, uh, was a dreamer. You know, uh, we enter, uh, we kind of pick up his story at about age 17, and he's, uh, he's the youngest at the time of 11 boys. As I said, he is, his, uh, he's quite a bit younger. There's quite a bit of a gap between him and his 10 older brothers. And, you know, he's already had the opportunity to work with them a little bit. His dad, uh, his father, Jacob, loves him and, and favors him a little bit because he came along uh, later in his life. And so he has a special place in his father's heart, a little privilege there. And his older brothers, um, uh, you know, as he begins to work with them, one of the things he does is uh, he'll work with them a little bit. He'll go out and, and be a part of the work and then he'll go back and tell his dad some of the things they're not doing right. And as you know, that always endears you to people, right? Builds that, that warm, fuzzy feeling that they get about you when you come around. If you're going to tell on them when they're doing stuff wrong. And so uh, his brothers, being older, really appreciated Joseph and his efforts to ensure that they did a good job. You know, hey, thanks, Joe, for telling mom and dad uh, or telling dad that we're not doing a good job. We really appreciate. So you can see that he had a great relationship with his older brothers. But the thing is, Joseph began to have dreams about his life and about the future. Genesis 37, verses 6 and 7 says, uh, after uh, he begins to have dreams, he's speaking to his brothers. He says, listen to this dream, he said. We were out in a field trying to bundle, uh, tying up bundles of grain during the harvest, right? Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. <clears throat> now this just made him really have warm, even greater feelings for their brother, um, their younger brother. A little punk, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, um, but Joseph had these dreams. And uh, dreams really are empowering. It's one of the things about dreams. And Joseph, he was younger. He was uh, the, the young kid, but he did have dreams and ambitions, right? 
He was trying to be responsible and step in and maybe do a good job in his mind. Though he was young and naive and maybe didn't quite understand how to do that, how to build a relationship and stuff. But, but the, the dreams that he began to have in this one that we read included did begin to empower him. Gave him a sense that he, there was a future for him where uh, maybe something uh, amazing would happen and he would achieve things in his life. And he began to think about that. And you can see that, he, uh, that those dreams were empowering to him. And you can kind of feel it in him as he continues to dream and share those with his brothers. See, dreamers, our dreams empower us. The second thing uh, that dreams do is dreams or dreamers, people that as we dream, see what could be, what could happen. You know, uh, plenty of us walk through life and deal with the reality of what is, but dreams allow us to see what could be. And, um, and Joseph began to get a picture of the future, the possible future for his life through the dreams that he was having American history shall march along that skyline, announced Gutson Borlam, or Borglum excuse me, in 1924, gazing at the Black Hills of South Dakota. In 1927, Borglum began sculpting the images of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt on the granite face of 6,000-foot Mount Rushmore. Most of the sculpting was done by experienced miners under Borglum's direction, Working with jackhammers and dynamite, they removed some 400,000 tons of outer rock, cutting within three inches of the final surface. When Borglum died in March of 1941, his dream of the world's biggest sculpture was near completion. Though his son Lincoln actually finished the work that October, some 14 years after it began. Isn't that amazing? Uh, This guy (laughs) looked at uh, the side of a mountain. And he saw what could be. And he was willing to press into that and push for it to achieve and accomplish it and see it become a reality. See, dreamers or dreams allow us to see a picture of the future of what could be. But dreams and dreamers sometimes can get a negative reaction. (laughs) Not everybody is real excited about the dreams that we might have or dreamers in general. Um, Joseph's brothers didn't love his dreams. Uh, Genesis 37 verse 5, one night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever, right? And so sometimes some people think dreaming is frivolous. It's a waste of time. You have your head in the clouds, get your head uh, down in reality here and get to work, right? Life is real and so, uh, and there's real things to do and dreams are just playing in the make-believe and we can get that way. Sometimes it, become, it comes because of broken dreams or a lack of seeing those things happen. We can get discouraged. Some people just aren't a, as much into that. But, um, but dreaming is important. Sometimes we hold our dreams close to our chest because we don't want somebody to squash them and say, boy, that's stupid. You'll never do that. You know, Those things happen to us, and so we hold them close to the vest. But the dreams that Joseph had, and this is kind of interesting, they were actually from God. They weren't just things that he dreamt up about what he could do, but God planted them in his mind and allowed him to see them. If you were to dream, if you were to consider, if you were to ask God to show you what it is that he wants for your life, where it is that he wants you to go, what direction does he want you to move in, beyond all the things that we have to do in life, the responsibilities, but God, what, it is, what is it that you'd like me to do? What is it that you'd have for me to accomplish in this life? The thing is that once you begin down that path, even once you have a picture of that, 
there's something that's going to happen because it happens to everybody. It happens in every instance. It happens to every person. And that is you're going to experience setbacks. One of the most important things in moving toward those dreams and visions that God has for your life is that you've got to trust God even when the setbacks come. The bulk of Joseph's story is about setbacks. Nothing but setbacks. You know, they come in different forms. And if you've lived any time at all and you've tried to accomplish anything at all, you know that setbacks will be a part of what you have to deal with. There'll be obstacles in the way of the accomplishment of those dreams. And Joseph experienced a myriad of setbacks and and extremely extreme examples of setbacks. Some things that I hope none of you and I would hope no one would ever have to experience. But Joseph did. And so we gain some insight from his story to see how does God work in and through setbacks. Some setbacks come simply from being wronged. Being wronged. Being treated with malice by others. You know, it happens in the world. There are things that happen that are unjust that, that uh, seem completely unfair, and sometimes they're just the act of another person trying to hurt us. You know, Joseph, as he uh, grew, this relationship with his brothers wasn't great, and he certainly was the cause of part of that. We can look at him and say, boy, probably not a great character, probably didn't handle yourself very well. But the truth is, he in no way deserved the treatment that he got from his brothers. No one would deserve that kind of treatment. You know, uh, his brothers went out, sent by their father, Jacob, to go watch the sheep and, and care for them. And so they were traveling out through the countryside, making sure the sheep had fresh pastures to graze and they had enough food. And so it, it required a lot of traveling. And so they were out on one of these uh, seasons. And Jacob said to his son, Joseph, who had hung back, hey, go out and check on your brothers. And so he did go out. Uh, and to find them, and he went in the direction that he, he knew they had gone, and, and so as he went out to find them, he got to that region he thought they were in, and, and they weren't there, and he couldn't find them, and he was kind of wandering around, and, uh, and, and a, a gentleman saw him wandering around and went up and said, young man, are, you look lost, can I help you? He said, yeah, I'm looking for my brothers, they're, they're watching after the sheep, and so uh, he said, oh, I think, I, I think they went that direction, so Joseph headed that way. As he got near them, In Genesis 37, as he neared where they were, he had found them. Genesis 37, verse 18 through 20 said, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him from a distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Boy, these guys uh, had allowed that relationship, the jealousy, uh, to build into hatred uh, to the point where they really wanted to end the life of their, of their brother. Um, it's kind of a, a warning a little bit of being careful <laughs> as, as we get those feelings and emotions, what we do with them. But this, uh, they, they, they find themselves in a really dangerous spot. They hate their brother so much they want to end his life. And they're willing to do it. They seem really willing to do it and motivated to do it. And yet um, Reuben, their oldest brother, the oldest brother, steps in. He says, guys, we, we don't want to do this. 
I mean, I know you're angry. I know you don't like him. I know we, we hate him, and I know he's a little punk, but we don't want to, you know, having his blood on our hands, that's not something we want. And so he kind of talked him out of that. And so as Joseph arrived, they did grab him. They took the robe off of him that his father had given him. They, uh, they threw him in a cistern, which just a big hole in the ground meant to store water. And, and they left him there and, and kind of deciding what to do. And they did sprinkle some blood on the, the robe, and they were planning to go back and, and tell their father that he was dead along uh, as, as time transpired and he's there in the hole in the ground, there were some Ishmaelite traders that came by headed to Egypt. And they said, hey, um, one of the brothers says, hey, let's sell him to these traders uh, in, into slavery. And so, um, and so then we haven't killed him. His blood's not on our hands, but we're done with him. And so that's in fact what they did. They sold their brother into slavery. And so Joseph found himself uh, having shifted from being the most favored son, having a privileged spot, to being uh, a slave with people that he didn't know and didn't know him, and, uh, and he was headed to Egypt away from his family. Sometimes setbacks come just from being wronged, from being treated wrong, no matter what we've done to deserve those things. And Joseph, as I said, maybe contributed to some of it, but certainly didn't deserve what was done to him. Huge setback. He had dreams of being the leader in his family, and now he's headed to Egypt, separated from his family, with no, no idea that those dreams could ever come true. Well, setbacks can also come from doing what's right. I heard recently a leader say that there is the easy path, and then there's the right path. And oftentimes, isn't it interesting, we have those decisions placed in front of us. Am I going to do what's easy? And what's easy means uh, it, it could work. It'll, be, it'll smooth things over. Here's a solution that, that easily will cause things to work out the right way to my benefit. And, and it'll all work. And what could really be wrong with that? But our conscience is pricking us. And it's saying, hey, it's not the right way, though. And so we have to decide uh, between what we know could work, easily work, and what's right. And the right way a lot of times will cost us, makes it even harder. And so Joseph, as he got to Egypt, was bought by a man named Potiphar. He was in charge of uh, the king's guard, and so he had a prominent position. He was a leader in the empire. Mind you, Egypt is massive. Potiphar had a great deal of position and power and wealth. He had a huge home with farm and, and livestock and a huge business of his own. And so he needed servants and slaves to help manage it. And Joseph uh, came along. He was hoping he would be a good worker, help contribute to it. And Joseph, uh, as he stays there, one of the interesting things about Joseph is this huge setback in his life could have caused him to give up. He said, I'm not going to do anything here. It's ridiculous. I've been wronged. I'm hurt. What my brothers did to me. I'm not going to do anything. But somehow Joseph keeps going. He keeps pushing forward. Um, it's one of the most intriguing things about him is he just won't be stopped. And so he starts to work. He starts to work hard, though he's a slave. He went from being a free man to a slave. Not right. But he starts to work hard. And pretty soon, Potiphar is thinking to himself, man, I needed some extra help around the place. I hit the gold mine here. This guy's incredible. He's smart. He's got some leadership ability. Everything he touches prospers. If he runs my farm, the crops do great. If he takes care of the livestock, they, we have a you know, wonderful uh, multiplication, right? And, and everything he touches. And Potiphar started to say, man, God is with this guy. And so he began to give him more and more authority. And, and 
gave him more and more uh, control over more things in his home. It says to the point that Joseph was running everything. And all Potiphar had to do was worry about what he was going to eat for the next meal. Now that's a dream for some of you. <laughs> right? <laughs> all I got to worry about. Hey, listen, Potiphar had it really good because this young man uh, was prospering. He was working hard. He was, he was continuing to work at what was put in front of him, though he had a setback. He didn't stop him. Sometimes in the middle of doing what's right, we can face a setback. And Joseph wasn't done with setbacks. Uh, you know, he was serving Potiphar, his master. And as he gained more and more prominence in the home, as he began to do more, he became the man in Potiphar's home. He was doing more than Potiphar. And so Potiphar's wife started to look at Joseph. And she started to want Joseph to start to lust after him, right? And so she started to pursue him. Joseph, come and sleep with me. And Joseph said, listen, I've been given authority after everything in my master's home. You're off limits. You're his wife. How could I sin against him and sleep with you? And so he rejected her advances. But she didn't stop. She continued to pursue him. One day, she became physical with him, grabbing a hold of him. Come into my bed. Sleep with me. And he said, no, I can't do this thing. And so he actually physically ran out of the room and out of the house. Well, she was holding on to him. She had his cloak and she held on to it and he ran out of it to get away, doing the right thing. How many people would do that? Joseph had an incredible character in this. In Genesis 39, verse 16, Potiphar's wife was not happy with the rejection says she kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran out of the house leaving his cloak with me. She accused him, right? He was the aggressor. Joseph did the right thing. He honored his boss. He resisted, right? And what happens? Well, Potiphar's furious. Of course, he believes his wife and he has Joseph thrown in prison, into the king's prison. Setbacks can come from doing right. If you think they won't, you haven't tried anything. <laughs> you try doing what's right, and it'll cost you sometimes. Joseph experienced that. That setback could have stopped him. Being sold into slavery by his brothers should have stopped him. Being uh, wrongly accused and thrown into prison, right, when he did the right thing by his boss, that should have stopped him. But he lands in prison, and interestingly enough, in spite of all the odds, Joseph begins to rise to the top again. He begins to become a leader again. But see, he wasn't done experiencing setbacks. Setbacks can also come from forgotten promises. As Joseph worked in the prison, pretty soon he was put in charge of it. He was running the, the place, right? Clearly gifted leader, clearly hard worker, clearly uh, won't be stopped, just continued to move forward. Unbelievable resilience. And so here he is working away, trying to uh, do the right thing, maintain who he is. And as he's working in the prison, there's a couple of guys that have been thrown in prison by Pharaoh. One of them was the wine tester, wine taster for the king. The other was the baker for the king. They had angered Pharaoh and he threw him in prison, right? So here he is. These guys are in prison with, with Joseph and they're talking and they're interacting and Joseph's in charge there. And one day they go, and we had a dream. These guys said, so we had dreams and we don't know what they mean. And Joseph said, well, maybe I can help you. And so he, he uh, listens to their dream. And lo and behold, God gives him the ability to interpret these dreams. And so the, the cupbearer is first. 
And the cupbearer tells him his dream, and Joseph listens to it. He prays about it. He says, Here, here's what dream means. You're going to be let out of prison. Pharaoh's going to pull you out. He's going to reinstate you to your old position. And you're going to once again be cupbearer to the king. Well, he was overjoyed, relieved. And the baker heard that good report, and he said, What about my dream? What about my dream? And he tells him his dream, and Joseph said, Man, I'm sorry, but not good news for you. Pharaoh's going to take your head off in a few days, right? And you're going to be put on a stake out for everybody to see. And so, bad, good news, bad news, right? But Joseph said to the cupbearer, Hey, listen, when you get out of here, when Pharaoh reinstates you to your position, would you please remember me? I'm in here. I didn't do anything to get here. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything, right? Unjustly treated. Would you remember me and just put in a good word for Pharaoh or with Pharaoh? Genesis 40, verse 23, Pharaoh's cupbearer, or Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. He got out of prison. Joseph had helped him, interpreted a dream, gave him some relief in a moment of intense pressure, and he gets out and he promptly forgets everything about him. I don't know if somebody's ever told you, hey, I'll do something for you. I'll put in a good word. When I make it to the next level, I'll bring you with me. I don't know. There's all kind of promises that get made. Sometimes those get forgotten. They don't get delivered on. You can imagine Joseph sitting in prison, already struggling, already in a spot he doesn't deserve to be in, having been treated unjustly. And here he goes with another setback. There are many other setbacks we can experience. You can probably think of some. You've experienced them. Listen, uh, setbacks are difficult, but here's the thing. As we, as we navigate the dreams that God gives us, as we navigate into the life God has for us, we've got to maintain hope, right, that God can work even in and through the setbacks. If you see someone in a position that you aspire to, if you see somebody that has a life maybe that you'd like to have, can I assure you that they've had to navigate more than a few setbacks? It's the nature of life. And yet, we must somehow remain resilient with our eyes on Jesus, with our eyes on God, with our hope in the future that he is calling us to. It started like so many evenings, mom and dad home and Jimmy playing after dinner. Mom and dad were absorbed with, the jo- with jobs and they didn't notice the time. It was a full moon and some of the light seeped in through the windows. Then mom noticed the moonlight. She glanced at the clock Oh, Jimmy, it's way past your bedtime. Get upstairs to bed. I'll come and tuck you in in a little bit. About an hour later, after Jimmy unusually ran up the stairs to his bedroom, mom came into his room to tuck him in, and she sees Jimmy sitting on the bed looking out the window at a moonlit landscape. Jimmy, what are you doing? said, I'm looking at the moon. Well, Jimmy, it's time to get in bed, man. Come on. Get under the covers. Let me tuck you in. So Jimmy did, and as he laid his head on the pillow and mom tucked him in, he said, Mom, someday I'm going to walk on the moon. Who could have known that that little boy in whom that dream was planted that night would survive a near-fatal motorcycle crash, which broke almost every bone in his body, and would bring to fruition the dream 32 years later when James Irwin stepped onto the moon's surface, just one of 12 individuals ever to have done so. Setbacks can stop us, and too often they do. 
As we've been looking this year at discipleship, you know, we've had the four chairs as a metaphor. The four chairs which represent the four callings that Jesus places on our life. The first one is to come and see. It's really before we know Jesus, we know who he is, but somebody invites us to come and see and to check out who he is. And we all need to be inviting somebody to come and see, right? And the second chair is represented by the chair that says, come follow me, where we move into a relationship with Jesus. And man, what a big step that is. To put our trust in him, to believe in him, to say, hey, I'm a sinner and I'm headed for judgment in hell and I need saving. It takes some humbling. It takes a willingness to look at the reality of our life and to go, God, where I stand in relationship to you, I'm in trouble and I need saving. I need your help. And to step into that chair too is to acknowledge that and to say, God, I can't do anything on my own. I can't save myself. I can't fix the problem, which is the judgment I'm facing. And so we go, Jesus, I... I need your forgiveness. And we, on our knees, come to Jesus and we say, uh, please forgive me. Please, uh, you know, please make me right. And we step into chair two and begin to follow him. And boy, there's some changes involved in chair two. Man, we've got to give up the way of life that we had built. And we've got to start following Jesus and moving in the direction he calls us to. And what a radical change that is. And so we're, we're learning and we're growing and we're in the scriptures and we're discovering what it is that God wants us to do and what his plan for our life is. And we begin to pursue that and we let go of the sins that were behind us, right? And we move into a, a path of following him and a, of change. The way we think begins to be transformed. That's chair two. Chair three is where Jesus calls us to learn how to fish for men, like he told Peter. Come follow me, and I'll teach you to be fish for men. And that's the chair where we take even maybe a, a scarier step in some ways to get involved in the work of God, to begin to volunteer, right, in ministries in the church, and then, boy, that's scary because we don't know how to do it. The work of God seems really outside of our comfort zone. Could I ever do anything like that? I'm not very good, God. You know, I got, I got issues and problems and sin that I'm wrestling with. You don't really want to use me. I could never do that, right? And we have to push past all those obstacles that the enemy wants us to believe, to step into obedience, to begin to serve and to begin to minister to others, right? And to realize that there are needs around us that we can help with. And then chair four is the chair where we become a disciple maker, where we can call somebody to come and see and then help them make a decision to trust Christ as Savior and begin to follow him and we can help them get involved in serving and then ultimately uh, help them grow to the point where they could help someone else. This is the call of Jesus on our life. It's the dreams that God has for each one of us if we're followers of his. And yet, all kinds of setbacks on the road to following Jesus and to ever getting to that chair four where we're disciple makers if you don't think so, then just try. <laughs> if you don't think there's going to be setbacks, you're not trying hard enough because there's going to be nothing but setbacks because we have an enemy, the devil, who wants to stop us from getting to those dreams, from ever seeing those happen. And yet God believes in us. He continues to say, listen, press on. Don't be stopped. Continue to press on. I have dreams for you. I see a future where you can accomplish the work that I have for you. You can be a part of serving me and building an eternal future by investing in the lives of others. Joseph's setbacks could have stopped him completely, but somehow, man, he seems to stay solid on pressing forward. Part of the trick to continuing forward in life is keeping hope alive. See, we must hold out hope Listen to this. We must hold out hope that God can produce good through the bad. Not in spite of the bad, 
but through the bad. Joseph was experiencing bad. Bad things happening to him. You can't look at his life and say, oh, no, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, no, it was bad. And it's good that God has uh, preserved his story for us, right? And how God worked in and through him because we need to see how God can work through the bad in our lives. We don't believe it. (laughs) We don't believe it all. We get angry about it. We get frustrated about it. We say, God, see what happens when I try to follow you? And we get, we get angry. Those hurts start to build up. But Joseph's story shows us the incredible way in which God works through the bad to accomplish the good. See, Joseph, uh, <clears throat> two years after he had told these two men the dreams that they had had, the meanings of them, and two years after the, the cupbearer got back into the position that he had had, and certainly the, the dream that Joseph said, the interpretation came true, and there's, there he is back in Pharaoh's uh, uh, court serving the Pharaoh in his prominent position, and he had forgotten Joseph, but something crazy happened two years later. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream, and he's up all night. He can't sleep. It's bothering him. What does this dream mean? Pretty soon he starts telling everybody that works for him, everybody around him, I've had these dreams and I gotta find out what they mean. They're they're bothering me. I know there's something important here I need to know the answer to, but I don't know what it means. And the cupbearer in a moment, ah, he remembers Joseph. Guys, things don't happen on our timeline, okay? When you're working with God, There's a rule that I try to remember and I try to encourage others to do, to remember. There is a God and you're not him, right? Sometimes we need to remember that. (laughs) Really, we kind of want to edge into that. We kind of want to give God some advice as to how we should handle our situation. See, he doesn't really understand it, right? He doesn't know what we're going through. God, God, here, if you just send a text, you know, I got some good advice for you, but we want to do that. But the truth is God knows what's going on. He's got a plan and he's working it out. And with Joseph, two years prior was not the right time for the wine taster, the cupbearer, to say something to Pharaoh. But this was the right time. And so Joseph's brought before the king, and he reveals to him the meaning of his dream. And the dream was really important because there was going to be seven years of plenty where the crops were going to be bumper crops and provision was going to be amazing, overwhelming harvests. And then there was going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph said, listen, what you really should do, king, is you should have somebody in charge of storing up all the extra, all the excess in the seven years of plenty so that when the seven years of famine come, you can take care of people and feed them and we'll make it through. And Pharaoh said, man, that's a great idea, Joe. I know just the man to handle that. You're going to be in charge. And in a moment, Joseph went from being a prisoner, jailed for something he didn't do, wronged, to being second in command in the Egyptian empire was no small move. (laughs) And I still don't think Joseph recognized what was happening. He didn't know yet the significance. But as he served in that position, seven years of plenty, he built up the storehouses, he amassed the grain and And the bumper crops, he stored them. And he was preparing for the seven years of famine. And sure enough, after seven years of plenty, seven years of famine began. And they were able to take care of their own people. But also people from the surrounding region started to come in and ask for grain. Because the the famine spread further than just Egypt, right? 
And so uh, here's Joseph in a position to help other people and to provide for people so they didn't starve and they could continue to exist and they could make it through. And it was really more than just the nation of, of Egypt and the Egyptian empire, but it was bigger than that. And here's Joseph in an instrumental role. But one day something amazing happened that he didn't expect. He was working along, taking meetings. People need to meet with him all the time. And he would write out how much grain they would. He would answer these requests. And one day, 10 men come in front of him. And it struck him in a moment that he knew who they were. They were his brothers. His brothers had come because they were out of grain in Canaan too. His brothers who had sold him into slavery, who had set him on this path of pain, who had abused him, who had wanted him dead. Here they are standing in front of him. And he remembers in a moment the dreams that God had given him. What Joseph would grow to realize is that the dreams that God had given him were not about him being in a position of power. See, God was going to use him to serve and to save the nation of Israel so that his promise could be fulfilled And so here's Joseph thinking he's going to be an important guy because of these dreams. But he had to walk through a painful path for God to put him in a position where he could serve his brothers and his father and save the nation of Israel. And ultimately be the reason that they thrived. Dreams, the dreams that God gives us are not about us. They're about us serving his plans. We need to remember that and get that in mind as we go through life because uh, serving God means sacrifice. Dreams are also fulfilled in God's timing, as I said. And Joseph's life went right down the path that God had for him, step by step by step. Those setbacks were not mistakes. God didn't cause those things to happen to him, but God worked through them, right, to accomplish the amazing the amazing fulfillment of his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And without Joseph going down that path and ending up in Egypt, ending up in a position to save the nation, um, then, then God's plan for the future, right, is jeopardized. In your life, when God gives you dreams, it's important to remember that they are to accomplish his purposes, right? And you get to be a part of that. And that the setbacks and the pain and the struggles and the things we go through are not a diversion away from his plan and his dreams for you, but they go right through those things. There's purpose in them so that ultimately you can be a part of working to accomplish what God has and what his plans are. God, I pray that you would continue to help us as we navigate this life to remember that you have a plan for us and you have dreams for us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to tap into those dreams, to focus on them, to seek you and your direction for our lives. And then, Father, I pray that you'd help us to persevere, to continue to press forward, even as setbacks come. Help us to keep our hope in you and to remember that you don't just accomplish your dream and your plan in our lives in spite of the setbacks, in spite of the things that happen to us that are painful, but you actually work through them Give us a sense of your power, your purpose. Help us to stay focused on you, looking to you. Help us to persevere and press forward. Thank you for believing us and having 
having a plan and a purpose for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.